another episode of That's the Way I Feel podcast. This is episode nine, and we're here with the lovely, talented Dr. Gretchen Howley, who is doing big things in the MS community and with physiotherapy, physical therapy, and just teaching us how to conduct ourselves, you know, and get healthy. So how are you today, Dr. Howard? Yes, how are you? And we want to congratulate you on your engagement. Absolutely. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, I'm good. The engagement was completely unexpected. I had no idea. So that just made it even more exciting. <laughs> That's the way to do it, man. Aww. I love that. How long have you de- were you all dating? We actually were one of the, I think they call them like quarantine daters so we started dating in the beginning of quarantine so it was just a little over a year okay. and then yeah so just right after the year okay. okay well congratulations again thank you the quarantine yes. <laughs> sounds good okay something okay so i know that you're big on neuro neuroplasticity now one question that i have about that is there ever a point where you're too far gone in the disease where the neuroplasticity won't happen or it'll be harder? Like, does it ebb and flow? That's a great question. So I haven't heard anything in research regarding it being too late. However, the older you are, the longer it takes. If you were diagnosed at a later age, or even if you were diagnosed earlier, you've just had it for a while. The older you are, the longer it takes for neuroplasticity to kick in, which is the same theory as why people say, uh, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can. It just takes a while. It takes your brain, your body, everything a bit longer. That's that would be my answer for that. But one other thing I'd like to mention, too, is that we know neuroplasticity works in people who have brain lesions. But there is much less research for neuroplasticity with spinal lesion. So the idea is that it can't hurt. You know, there's no research saying that it doesn't work for spinal lesions. So my stance is no matter what type of lesions you have, brain or spinal lesions, you might as well keep exercising with the idea of neuroplasticity kicking in because worst case scenario, it just doesn't help. Best case scenario, it helps just as much as the brain lesions would. That's crazy to me because in my mind, the the brain lesions are going to affect things like speech or vision, you know, your cognition. And I would think that the ones in your spine are only the ones that really affect your physical symptoms. But if they haven't researched that, then, you know, it's my theory is blown out the water. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Wow. Okay, so as you talk about exercise, the the missing link, your wellness program that we did a lot of research on, and can you expand on that? Yeah, so I'll first start by saying the reason that I even developed an online program was because there aren't many of us physical therapists that are also certified MS specialists, and I was noticing that because I was only one of four. MS specialist that was also a PT in the entire state of Massachusetts, which is where I was living at the time. One of four? Yeah, so very few. And and now there's a few more, but still, I mean, I would guess under 10 still. 
So because of that, people, my clients were coming from an hour away, two hours away. And it was at one point where I'll never forget my boss brought me aside and he said that I was the physical therapist who had the highest no-show and cancellation rate, which obviously is not a good thing. Like as a PT, that's the last thing you want to hear. But I knew, I, I felt confident in my PT skills and getting my clients better. So I did some research in it and I realized that 95% of my clients who were canceling or no-showing were my clients who had MS. And in my opinion, they were all valid reasons that they were canceling, you know, their fatigue was too high, or they get so fatigued just from the drive to and from that they didn't feel they could participate in the PT session, or transportation or weather, you know, there's so many reasons why they were either canceling or no showing. And it was about three years ago, maybe even four years ago now, that I remember asking my boss, you know, is there a way I can do something with them online? or telehealth or something. And back then, telehealth even was just taboo. Like no no one was covering it. There were no online programs. And so the answer was just no, no, no. Enough where I was finally like, well, then I'm going to do something on my own because my clients right. aren't getting the most value because they can't come in all the time. So that's why I created it was to have this online resource available initially just for my clients. But because it's online, it rapidly grew to really anyone with MS throughout the United States, the you know, other countries. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I like to think of it as the same education you'd get from me as if you were to come to me in person. It's just all recorded. So there's videos for MS specific strengthening exercises, balance exercises, walking, stretching, and that's just the exercise portion. We also have guest speakers from other MS experts. We have yoga in there. We have research updates. One of my favorites, though, is we have a section for specific activities. Because one thing I hear a lot is, I have difficulty climbing stairs, or difficulty getting into and out of my car, or getting into and out of my bed. So I call those activities you know, that we do throughout the day. So I break those down and I explain how to do them and which exercises to do based on whatever your goals are. Okay, absolutely. It's funny that, that we're um, talking about it because I follow you on Instagrams and then I see, you know, you do the um, a lot of of tips and pointers so i follow all of that and, and especially like you're saying with the leg lifts and all of that so it's interesting to hear yeah people well clearly with ms that's what we struggle we struggle with our legs and our movements but the tips and the pointers you definitely give even though it doesn't sound like something major is going to happen instantly if you stick with it it's definitely going to help out so Absolutely. that's that's awesome and one thing that I don't know if either of you guys have experienced this, but one thing that I hear a lot is, well, I've gone to PT before and it didn't work for me or PT won't work for me because I have a progressive disease like MS. Right. And usually the people saying that either they've tried PT, but it wasn't MS specific. They probably went to an orthopedic physical therapist and it's just very different. Orthopedic PT is so different from MS specific PT, 
And the people who feel like, oh, well, I have a progressive disease, so it won't help anyways, I feel like they just don't understand enough what neuroplasticity is. Because if you right. understand it, why wouldn't you give it a try? You know, it is hard. It, it takes resilience and, um, yes, and, you know, and mental commitment. strength. Yeah, because it's going to be discouraging some days. Um, but, you know, why not give it a try? I think that's the biggest thing is the mental because I know for me, when the doctor, I still remember getting diagnosed March 6th. I'm sorry, March 9th, 2006 at 5 o'clock p.m. She said, you know, oh, well, you know, yeah, the test came back and it looks like you have multiple sclerosis. And I immediately started crying. and I said, I don't want to be in a wheelchair. That was the only thing I knew about it is that you go down. There's no recovery. There's no, right. there's no hope. There's pretty no much. Like, this is it. You're going to get worse. This is the best you're going to be for the rest of your life. It's just downhill from here. And I embodied that. It was downhill from here because, you know, you're in America, we're very, very Western medicine oriented. So there's no medication for it. There's no cure for it. That was just like mentally for me, that was it. It feels like there's no hope. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, so I've been an MS specialist for about five and a half years now, actually, maybe even six, which in my opinion is not that long. I can't even tell you how much research has changed just in the last six years. So if you were diagnosed in 2006, I know that many neurologists were still saying, don't exercise, that's just going to increase your fatigue, or that's just going to cause heat intolerance. Whereas now, physical therapy and exercise is one of the first things you should do to keep the strength that you do have. So, you know, research and doctor recommendations, and even just that thought of it's downhill from here is pretty taboo at this point, which obviously no one knew that back then, but you know, it's, it's not uncommon to have a client who's in a wheelchair, but they actually do improve to a cane because it was a Mm -hmm. relapse that they were going through. I tend to have a more optimistic outlook anyways, just because that's, those are the types of clients that I've seen. But, you know, when you're the person with MS, it's so easy to go down that rabbit hole of, you know, it's just downhill from here. And, you know, that can be hard to pull yourself out of. Absolutely. That's well put. Absolutely. Family doesn't help too with the diagnosis. Oh my God, Annette Funicelli and this one. Oh my God. I had an aunt tell me, you know, whenever you need me to wipe your ass, I'll be there for you. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but no, I, we know we're not trying to go there. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's the things that you see on TV, um, people, things that people say, people don't know. So it's like when you hear that diagnosis, yeah. all you think is you pull the negativity out of it. And now with the treatment of physiotherapy versus physical therapy, what exactly is the difference and what's best for someone with MS? Physiotherapy and physical therapy is the same thing. It just depends where you live. So physical therapy, I'm pretty sure actually the United States is the only country to call it physical therapy, but Canada... Um, UK, you know, I am pretty sure every other country calls it physiotherapy, but it's the same thing. I'm not sure exactly how the training is different in other countries. In the United States, it's a doctorate degree. So it's a doctor of physical therapy or a DPT. I'm not sure if the other countries have followed along with that. It used to just be a master's until maybe about 15 years ago or so. 
is when they started changing from master's to a doctorate level. And the biggest difference between those two levels is that the doctorate program is heavily focused on research based treatments, which is why a lot of the exercises I give and treatment strategies that I teach is all from research. It's not just, hey, try this exercise. You know, this is right. hip flexors. It might be helpful. It's tried and, and proven. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So my doctor recommends me for physical therapy, my neurologist. The thing is that with the insurance companies, you have to have a reason. Mm-hmm. You get 12 weeks, but you have to have a reason. So what he's done, which I appreciate, is he'll use, you can't say just MS and, and do it forever. It's a, It has to be acute. So he'll do like muscle strengthening in the legs, yes. back pain, or arm pain, you know, balancing. He'll do different symptoms, and then I'll get another 12 weeks of therapy that way. Yeah. As a physical therapist, I mean, my main goal is obviously just to help my clients. And it really depends on what insurance company each client has. I had treated some clients who had great insurance in that is similar to you, where if I at least had a new diagnosis, we could get eight more visits or six or 12, you know, depending on on the specific case. But then there were other insurances where they just had a cap per year. It didn't matter if you had a new referral or a different problem, even if it was unrelated to MS, you were just done once you hit a certain number of visits. So, you know, that was another reason for an online program. Like, what are you supposed to do in the meantime? And I saw clients that were doing great when working with me, but then they had to take three or four months off then they come back and they've lost so much ground. So it is important to keep up with your exercises during those downtimes. Absolutely. Your program is an amazing resource for the for the community because like patients and that you had just wasn't showing up because that day they didn't feel well or whatever. And that happens to us all the time. So if we can turn on the TV and do and watch you and you know, and communicate in that manner, that is a significant resource. And we thank you greatly for that. I used to see a chiropractor and he introduced something called surge training to me. And it kind of looked like what you were doing with the punching. It was like you do 60 seconds of hard movement, 30 seconds of rest, you know, the same thing. But it's like I would just punch out up front, you know, just punch, punch, punch. And then, yeah, you really do get tired, but I don't think I ever did it long enough. So you said that you should do it until you're tired or like, was there a time that you should be doing the physical activity, the cardio? I'm sorry. Right. Well, so yeah, it really depends. If if your main goal is just for it to be cardio, then again, research right now doesn't say that they don't we don't know yet. There's not enough research as to how long it should be, like how many minutes or what intensity it should be or what specific exercises. We just know if you do cardio specifically before your MS specific exercises, it primes your brain for neuroplasticity. So Mm. it's beneficial to do cardio first. However, so in that case, we don't know yet how long, but just keep going until you feel your heart rate get up there. And that's cardio. But there's also something else that's called high intensity interval training. So that is more when you do something that's high intensity and it could be the same thing. It could be pumping your arms, punching your arms, just moving, moving your arms quickly to get your heart rate up. And then you slow it down 
and you either do the same movement, just slower and less intense or something completely different to bring your heart rate down. And then once your heart rate is down, you go back up and get your heart rate up again. So it's these intervals of high intensity Mm -hmm. and low intensity. And that recently has been shown to be effective for people with MS as well. And a lot of people get intimidated when they hear that phrase of high intensity interval training. It sounds like, oh God, they're going to do sprint or, you know, I'm going to have to run or walk or something, but there's so many things we can do. Yeah. There's so many things you can do, even just seated in a chair without even weights or anything to get your heart rate up. So I'm a firm believer that there's always a way to get it done, no matter where you are. If you are you're sitting in a wheelchair most of the day, or even if you're still a runner and anyone in between, just modify it based on what your abilities are. Excellent. If you are that's like me, I, I was diagnosed in, in 2010 and accepted it in 2012. So is it ever too late to start, you know, the physiotherapy or neuroplasticity exercises or is it, are you too far gone right. or can you always just jump in? You know, based on my personal experience working with my clients, it's never too late. You know, again, if you're older, it might take a little bit longer, but what I typically see, regardless of age or how long you've been diagnosed, is either as soon as you start doing MS-specific strengthening exercises, you'll notice an improvement within even anywhere from three days to a week or two or three weeks. And you'll already start noticing, you know, it's not a miracle, but this is improving, you know, whatever it is. Or instead of that, it just takes a little bit longer and you don't notice any improvements until you've been doing them for six months or a year or a year and a half. And what I believe is happening is if you're in the first camp where you see results quicker, not that it necessarily has to do with your age or how long you've had your diagnosis, but rather that means that the nerves required to make that movement occur were still there. You just weren't using them. They were harder to use because they got weaker. So your muscles were overcompensating with different muscle groups and you essentially just stopped using that muscle. So you're just reminding your brain and your muscles how you want it to work. And you're, it's almost like your brain says, oh, I didn't know you wanted me to do it that way. Sure, you know, it's harder, but yeah, I'll do that. And then you'll start to notice those improvements right away. Whereas if you're in the second camp where you don't notice improvements as quickly, that means your brain is trying to rewire itself because that, that connection that used to be there just isn't there anymore. And so you just try over and over and over again for your brain to find a different pathway. You just reminded me, um, I had, I was involved, I was rear-ended by a, a sleepy truck driver on the interstate in um, 2014, and I ended up in the hospital, and then rehab, I had a bad, horrible flare-up, and then I ended up in rehab. I hated my physical therapist, but I loved my physical therapist also. I remember specifically, she pissed me off one day because I was, she wanted me to, I was putting on my shoes after therapy. And I needed to lift my leg, obviously, you know, to tie my shoes. And I put my hand on my foot. She said, she said, no, she said, don't use your hands. Use your mind, Jamila. You got to use your mind to do it. And it was so hard. It worked. But it was so hard. But in that moment, it was like, but it's all I need to do is tie my shoe. Just, you know, just let me tie my shoe. 
but I got into the habit of, okay, tell your mind to do it, make your mind do it, you know, and that's reiterating that, drumming it in my head that I have to make my mind do it. Absolutely. And that's something that I like to educate a lot of my clients and even my social media followers too, is that we pick up bad habits so quickly. So likely you just noticed at some point, this is harder. I'm going to use my arms to help me. And that habit forms so fast. And the danger in that is if you always use your hands because it's easier, you're going to lose more strength than if you instead just tried to do it. So what I typically tell my clients is try to do it without using your hands. And if, if you're really, you know, if you got to go somewhere, you're somewhat in a hurry, give yourself two attempts where you do not use your hands. And even if it doesn't work, the, the point isn't necessarily to have this miraculous lift of your leg, but rather you're trying to get your brain to find that pathway. And if it doesn't work after two times, go ahead and use your arms because, you know, you got to get to where you got to go. So I don't want you sitting there for 15 minutes trying to make it happen. But first attempt at least twice to not use your arms, even if you know for a fact that your leg's not going to lift. Again, the point is not that it's going to lift as much as it needs to, but more so as exactly as you're saying, use your mind. You know, get your brain to try to find that neural pathway. I remember after that, I would tell people like you, re- like they say, you have to think about stuff before you do it. Like you think before you move, you really do think before you move. Like you really do use your brain to move your legs. Like it's, it's true. <laughs> I think before the diagnosis, it's just it's the instinctual for us. So we didn't put that, you know, thought to movement, you know, connect that, that, that situation. But yeah, it, it's, if you think about it, you know, and you try to move, that's that's the best. And keep that neural pathway open or even if they have to change, your mind is stronger than, than we think. That's yeah. the bottom line. Yeah. And that brings up another topic. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no I'm just going to say because it can go the other way also. If you don't, you know, if you're not positive with it, it can take you down if you go the Absolutely. other way. Yeah. Another, that brings up another thing too, where because you are focusing mentally more on it, like when you're walking, it's not just you walking. It's you thinking, bend my knee, lift my toes, bring my knee up, you know, put my heel down first. You know, you're cognitively thinking of all these things so that that means that you might not be able to have a conversation while you're walking. Or you might not be able to do two things at once. So using your brain to think about whatever you're doing and having a conversation or um, figuring out where you're going to go next or, or X, Y, and Z. So doing two things at once is also something that can be hard for people with MS because so much more focus is put into what you're doing physically. That's so interesting. <laughs> Walking and talking at the same time. Yeah, you got to focus on on something, and it might not be the talking. I'll say it's true, but you're right. Like I know when I'm walking, I have to actively think because my legs will get heavier and heavier, and yeah. I might not realize that I'm not lifting them, you know, and I'll you know to trip or something like that. So I'll tell myself, mm-hmm. you know, I know I walk a little bit more robotic than the average person because that's mm-hmm. a lift, you know, lift high. Right. So yeah, and that's another reason we I love the videos because. With, with, with Dr. G, Dr. Gretchen, sorry, you show that even if it looked, you know, robotic and, and weird, 
you still try it and you have to keep you know movement is is obviously the key and um regardless of how it looks you're, you're teaching your body you're retraining it's the neural pathways you're just but you got to stay consistent and, yeah. and that's what i pick up from watching you i love watching the videos because they're showing something but i got to punch in the chair or whatever i'm so glad yeah and that's that's truly it consistency is the only thing you can do to eventually improve your strength if the goal is to improve that neural connection from your brain to that muscle. And good form is important. You know, I always will tell people, do as many as you can with good quality and then stop and rest. And then start up again and do as many as you can with good quality and then stop and rest. Because if you end up doing more repetitions with poor quality, you're just training your brain to have bad quality. And then you might be more likely to trip over yourself or, you know, for something bad to happen. So good quality is very important, but lots of rest breaks is also important. And just staying consistent at it, you know, day after day, year after year. Well, question, you just said to take breaks. So, okay. So I'm doing my cardio. I got my heart rate up and I'm tired. And then I'm going to start doing my little stretches and all that. Does that take away from the neuroplasticity when I rest? No. So the cool thing about neuroplasticity is that it doesn't matter how many rest breaks you take. It just knows cumulatively how many you did. So if you were to do 10 times, let, let's let's pick like a marching exercise. So you're just sitting and you're lifting one leg up and then down the, the other leg. Let's say you do 10 times three sets. So that's 30 total repetitions, meaning that's 30 times that your brain attempted to find that neural pathway or to create a new neural pathway. And then let's say someone else who's also doing marching can't do 10 times three sets. It's too hard for them. So it's, it's bad quality. So instead, maybe their first set is only eight and then they stop because it's bad quality. And then they do a second set that's six and then they stop because of poor quality. And then their third and fourth set is four. And then they do a fifth and sixth set that's maybe three. And so there's breaks in between all of these. So cumulatively, they also got to 30, but it may have taken longer and they had more rest breaks. That is just as effective. Their brain still tried 30 times to find a pathway or to create a new one even though they took more rest breaks, even though it took longer. So when it comes to neuroplasticity, I always say, take as many breaks as you need to. Cumulatively, just try to get as many as you can with good quality. For balance, I know you said to work on the muscles in your feet. How many muscles are in your feet? Yeah, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but there's a lot. You know, there's there's bigger muscles, there's tinier muscles, and your muscles in your feet go over your toes and the arch and your heel. And so the muscles in your feet are responsible not only for curling your toes and straightening your toes and opening your toes wider and keeping your arch up, but also your balance. And so if you have weakness in your foot, you'll not only have difficulty lifting your ankle and lowering your ankle, and uh, maybe you'll have toe curling because your toes aren't strong enough to straighten. So those are strengthening-based issues, but also you can feel unstable and a little yeah. unsteady. That's interesting because the muscles in your actual foot has a, a ton of muscles that's actually doing things. I never thought of that. Yeah. Until she mentioned that. After she, after I watched her video and she said something about it, I was like, you know, that makes sense because 
it makes all I, the sense in the yeah, like never that it like kind of fall it. over, you know, like like yeah. the side of your foot, that muscle's kind of weak, so you yeah. curl up a little bit. And it always curls, yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it, There's so, one thing. Uh, so once a month in the missing link, I'll add and at one of those activity specific videos. And so the one for next month is what has something I call toe yoga. And so it's basically a series of toe movements that work to strengthen your foot and arch muscles. Because again, the stronger those are, the better your not only strength will be, but also balance. You know, we were doing a little bit of yoga at one point. And I know Carrie and I both said, like, the way it looked on the video isn't the way it looked when we did it. But we did feel a little bit better. Like, moving your ankles around like this. Like, I had one foot that was just, you know, just, like, twitching a little bit. But the other one could go, you know, a little bit. But it was really hard to do. Yeah. And one thing that I tell a lot of my clients is, in my mind, there's two different forms of exercise. There's MS-specific, and then there's general form, you know, general strength, general fitness. Mm -hmm. And they're both good, but they're just good for different things. The people who do like gym exercises or personal training or um, you know, just their own thing, you know, whatever we're taught of that's exercise when we're growing up. If you do only that, then you might feel like I'm stronger, but my walking isn't any better. Or I'm stronger, but I still have difficulty getting into and out of the car. So you're stronger, but you still can't do X, Y, and Z, like functional things. And then if you only do the MS specific, you'll feel like my walking is better for sure, but I want to be a little bit stronger. Or, hey, I can get into and out of my car now, but I want more muscle bulk. So there's pros and cons to each one. It really just depends on what your goals are. If anyone listening has any type of what I call functional goals, meaning specific activities like walking, stair climbing, getting up from the ground, standing up easier, or sitting down without plopping down, those are all functions. So there are specific MS exercises that you can do to help improve those functions. If activities are fine for you and you just generally want to get stronger, then it might be better to do the like more of the personal training type thing or just general exercise versus MS specific. Okay. Okay, next a quick question regarding finding MS specialists for your physio or physical therapist. Especially since you mentioned in a huge metropolitan area like Boston, there was only like four or five. So yeah, how do we go about pointing people in the right direction to find the correct therapy for their situation? Yeah, so that's a great question. So the first place I would go is to the National MS Society's website, they have something that they call a care partner. And there are care partners that are neurologists, um, general primary care physicians, as well as physical therapists is what one of the care partner sections. That is one place that you can go and just search their care partners in your area. The only thing I'll say about that, though, is that the care partners that they show are only the physical therapists in your area that have applied to be a care partner. So there might be 
physical therapists in your area that are MS specialists, they just didn't apply. So one of my tips is always call anyways, you know, call the places near you, or at least if you have a bigger hospital or bigger clinic near you, you might as well call and just see if they do have an MS specialist. But the MS Society website is one place that you can go. And then another place is, so this is a long phrase, but it's the Consortium of Multiple Sclerosis Centers, so the CMSC. So that's where I got trained as an MS certified specialist. And they have something on their website too, where you can try to find someone in your area. Yeah, that's awesome. I did not know of where to go. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of our people in the community have no idea. And like you said, most of the physical therapists that you know we go to there for orthopedic stuff and and they're not trained in, in handling multiple sclerosis, which is a snowflake, snowflake disease, sorry. Everything is different, so yeah. you gotta be individualized. Yes, and one thing they might find, so in your search, if you can't find a physical therapist that's also an MS specialist, you might be able to find a physical therapist that's a neuro-certified specialist, or NCS is the initials they'll have after their name. And that's better than like a, just a, what I call a regular PT or orthopedic PT, because they do have extra training. They have extra training in a bunch of different areas of neuro or you know neurological diseases. So it's a little more generalized than an MS specialist, which is only focused on MS, but you do have a better bet of getting more functional-based exercises and neuro-based exercises from a neuro-certified specialist. And then the last option would be an orthopedic PT who ideally has treated a few people with MS in the past. I just Googled, um, you know, um, MS certified physical therapy, Florida. I got one. Well, we're Florida. Okay. So we're in Florida. Here's another theory of mine. We're going to have a lot of physical therapists that can work with um, MS patients or who, who may or may not be certified because, as DeSantis said, we're a heaven's waiting room. We have a lot of seniors who've had strokes, you know, so you have they have to work with them um, on their building back up their, uh, you know, their nervous system and their movements and all that. So, you know, like they're kind of used to dealing with the population that has had neurological setbacks and it's affected their brain and everything. Yeah. And, you know, I've had clients who go to physical therapists before that are not MS specialists. And but, you know, they've treated a few neuro based clients and they love them. You know, honestly, I think the most important thing when trying to find a PT, it's great if they can be an MS specialist. But if they're not, the best thing is if they are at least a good listener. Because I think that's one thing that makes me a good PT is that I really listen for specific details to what each person is telling me. I believe them. You know, if they're if they tell me they're tired, I don't push them. If they tell me that they feel like their skin is crawling, I don't push them. You know, so just listening and believing and adapting based on what the client is telling you. So if you feel like you're with a PT and they're not listening to you or they're they're keep telling you you can do it, keep pushing, go go go, that's not what you need. So as long as your PT is listening to you and constantly able to adapt the exercises based on how you're feeling that day, then it sounds like you got a good one. Effective.
effectively judge if if you're just being lazy one day or as opposed to you're genuinely tired. Yeah. So from a client perspective, usually you'll feel a difference. So if you if you're just feeling lazy, you'll be able to get through your exercises. You're not going to want to cuz you're feeling lazy, but you'll be able to get right. through them the way that you normally would. But if you feel like, I think I'm just being lazy, I'm going to push myself to do them anyways, and you do them and you just feel extra fatigued or, you know, there's there's much less movement than there normally is. If there's something like that happening, then that's a sign that, yeah, maybe today is just a bad day for you or a high fatigue day, at least for your muscles. In that case, you can either just do lighter exercises. There's a ton of just simple seated exercises that you can do. And that actually could help improve your fatigue or just take the day off and and let your body rest. Okay. um, What would you suggest MS patients that's looking to build their strength and combat the fatigue? What would be the best thing to focus on and just recommend? What do you recommend? You know, my answer would be different. If it's strength and fatigue, I would suggest different things. If the goal is strength, I would suggest functional exercises. So my first question would be, well, what do you need strength in? And then my second question is, how will you know if you're getting stronger? So people might say, you know, I'll know if I'm getting stronger because I can stand up from any chair and any toilet, not just the raised chairs or the higher toilets. Or I'll know I'm stronger because I can get up off of the ground without support. Tell me what, Mm -hmm. what do you need strength in? And then get exercises for those specific things. However, if the goal is more for fatigue, like if fatigue is the biggest thing, then I would suggest light to moderate exercises. And again, it sounds silly because I think, you know, growing up as kids, we're all programmed to go big or go home with our exercises. And exercise means running and the Stairmaster and the elliptical and jumping jacks and lunges. There's so many other forms of exercise than those things. So fatigue, if battling fatigue is your biggest thing and you want to improve that, seated arm pumps and punching your arms forward just slowly and whatever speed you can, just get moving, even just from a seated or even a lying down position. One video I posted, I think it was last month, in the missing link was exercises to do in bed. And they're just light exercises to do to get your body moving, to help combat some fatigue and just keep the blood flow, circulation, all that good stuff. That's what I would say for fatigue. You just made me think about the MS Society's logo, uh, logo, keep it moving. Yeah, yep. And then the Mm -hmm. cool thing is that, I mean, it takes time, but once your fatigue has improved, then you can start adding some more strengthening-based exercises and MS functional exercises. Anytime someone has a goal of, improving fatigue and improving strength and improving walking, I try to help them prioritize one thing. And it's totally up to you. You're the person that's feeling these things, but we'll try to prioritize one thing first. And then once that starts to improve a little bit, we'll work on other areas. What does the success rate of your patients look like and how do you rate a successful experience with your program? Yeah, that's a great question because it is really hard to evaluate 
even in person physical therapy, what we consider success is functional outcome measures. So that's when I'm sure you guys have done these tests where it's the timed 25 foot walk test or um, the five times sit to stand, timed up and go. And there's these tests with numbers that we can calculate, okay, did you score better today than you did the last time? Or there's also subjective outcome measures where they're written quizzes almost, and you rate yourself. How is your fatigue? And did you score better this time or last time? And, you know, that's how research marks success. In the past, I've had clients who score better, but their quality isn't better. They, they walked faster, but they were tripping more. And so to me, that's not success. Like, yeah, you got a better time, but you're more likely to fall. You tripped way more. So to me, whether it's in person or virtual, success means it's often comes from feedback that my clients are saying that they aren't tripping as much. They can stand up most of the times that they try to stand up instead of having to sit back down because they're too fatigued or they're not strong enough. Um, you know, they can walk. One, one recently that I got, you know, the world is opening up again. And I had a client who went on vacation with her daughter and there was unexpectedly cobblestone and sand and these, these, mm. you know, floorings that she's not used to in at least a year. She's only been walking on even floor, but she's been doing her exercises and she was able to confidently do them. So success for me is those statements. So I'm constantly asking my, my clients, you know, what are you noticing? What things are easier? What things are harder? Because oftentimes it's not just, okay, I'm doing my exercises and wow, look how much better I'm walking. It's I'm doing my exercises. And instead of having a near fall three times this week, it was just once. You know, so we look for those small wins. And if you can have a number to it, even better, like a fewer number of falls or a fewer number of near falls or more numbers that you can actually stand up versus falling back down. So that, that's what I look for for success. Is there any type of physiotherapy that would help improve neuropathy? Yes. So there, and this is actually in the missing link as well, but there's exercises that you can do to improve sensation. So, you know, numbness, tingling, burning, pins and needles. So essentially what you do is you have a bunch of different things available to you that are different, uh, consistency is not the right word, but different fabrics, I guess. I can't think of the right word. Um, you know, but so one might be a cotton textures. ball. Textures. Yes. Thank you. So one might be a cotton ball. One might be a t-shirt. One might be jeans. Um, one could be a hairbrush, a pen. And so you, basically you pick the softest and less likely to flare your numbness or flare the burning, whatever sensation you're feeling. So usually that's a cotton ball and you just rub it or tap it to the area that is having the sensory issue. And then if the idea is that you're desensitizing. So it, it will likely bother you at first. And eventually, after doing it for a while, it won't bother you as much. And then you can move on to the next thing. So instead of a cotton ball, maybe it's a soft t-shirt. And you do that. And you, again, you're either tapping or just rubbing it on that area. Another thing that people do is, you know, if it's in your hand or even your foot, you can put your hand in a big bucket of rice and just move it around. And you're trying to desensitize that area. So 
you can use different sensory things to try to help with that. That's so crazy. Yeah. I used to work, I used to be a special education teacher. So we did a lot of sensory movement with the, you know, autistic kids and stuff. And I never realized that that was what it was doing. Yes. Like yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Mic drop, mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> I had a client once who normally she came in and we'd work on strengthening exercises and, uh, you know, regular exercises for MS. But she came in one day and she was just having so much pain and sensory changes in both of her legs. And it was going from her feet all the way up to her hips. What we did was we didn't do any of our normal exercises that day. Fortunately, I had a pail, like a sand pail that had a bunch of, uh, not sand, rice and beans and lentils all, all dried. And so I had her put one foot in and just move your toes around, move your ankle around. And she just stayed there doing that. We just talked. She did that for a few minutes. And she said that within those few minutes, the sensation was better in her foot and she could feel that it was starting to improve up her calf and towards her knee just from a few minutes. And so then we, we only had one bucket like that. So then we switched it to the other side and tried to help the other side a bit. Um, and it's temporary at first, so you do need to do it consistently. But yeah, it can you can notice effects right away or within a few times of doing it. I got to do that before my next neuro appointment so I can go up when he, um, he tests my toes, you know, like, am I going pushing up, pushing down, pushing up? And at this point, I guess I just rotate guesses. So, right. well, that's actually mm -hmm. different than sensation. That is the ability of oh. your brain to tell where your body is in space, which is not the same as sensation. What's is that? that? That's proprioception, right? Yes. Yep. I thought that was all the same or all like really related. I mean, they're closely related, but if you don't have proprioception or um, kinesthesia, you know, those are where someone like you have your eyes closed and someone moves your body or moves a limb or a toe. And without looking, it's not about the sensation. It's about, can you tell the position? So sometimes people try to cheat and they'll say, well, I can feel that you're pressing up on the bottom of my, of my foot. So that must mean that it's up, but that's different than knowing that it's just up because you can feel that it's in that position. That's what I do because I can tell how it feels when he pushes yeah. up. I can tell yeah. the difference between him pushing up and pushing down. I'm guessing whatever it is in my mind, I'm saying, oh, you're pushing up and pushing down when I feel those certain things. But in actuality, I could be saying the wrong things, just the same feeling that I'm feeling when he does something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they try to not give you any clues like that. They try to hold on both sides and not press more than the other side. But that is one way that you can cheat at that test is to, if you do have good sensation, you can use that to your advantage. And really, you're just guessing based on sensation versus proprioception and kinesthesia. I got one quick question again regarding um, walking on, because you mentioned walking on grass and sand and and how, because I've struggled with that. I'm, and, and being in Florida, there's beaches everywhere. And me and Jamila are from the Caribbean. And so beaches are important. So walking on the sand has been impossible for me since about 2000, 
let's say 13. How do the, the folks that you said, you know, it's been a year that they haven't been, you know, they've been practicing at home on flat ground. and But once they got to the beach and stuff, they were able to do it. Yeah, so there's two parts that go into it. So one is the strengthening and then one is the mental part. So when it comes to strengthening, a lot of people will say, you know, I'll ask them, what's your goal? And they'll say, I want to walk better. And they just assume that walking is just one thing, just one movement. But there's actually seven things required for walking. So you need to be able to weight shift, to shift your weight forward and backwards and side to side. You need to be able to bend your knee to bend your hip, to lift your ankle up, to stand on one leg, to put your heel down first. So all of those can be broken up into individual exercises. And then you can also put them into a big exercise. So one exercise that I really like doing once people have a certain amount of strength is just called exaggerated walking. And you walk with as big of movement as you can. Try to kick your butt with your heel, then bring your knee all the way up and straighten your leg. You should feel like you look funny when you're walking because it doesn't look normal. So just big movement. And you want to use that type of movement on the sand because when you're on the sand, your feet might go a little bit further down, you know, it's uneven. But if you keep your big movement, which obviously requires strength and it requires balance, but if you're able to have bigger movement, you're more likely to lift your leg enough where you won't trip on the sand. So that's part of it. But then the other part of it is mental. I had another client who did in a similar position, just didn't feel comfortable going on the sand because mentally it freaked her out because she hasn't been there in, yeah, in so long. And so for her, she was already doing the strengthening exercises. So I told her, what you should do is start practicing your exaggerated walking and, and a single step walking and all these things on uneven surfaces. So not in your home, but if there's a place near you that has gravel, go there. And ideally, you have a person with you, um, you know, for support or at least a, a walker or something. But go to gravel and practice walking there or go to grass and practice walking there because that way... You're training your brain that, yes, you can walk on uneven surfaces. So when you get to sand, instead of your brain seeing it and freaking out and saying, oh, my God, I haven't walked on sand in this many years. And the last time that I did, this is how it felt. Instead of that, your brain will ideally say, I've done this before. You know, it, it wasn't great, but I've done this before. And so practicing on uneven surfaces, wherever you can find them, if you have sand, a little bit of sand, great practice there. If not, grass, gravel, cobblestone, whatever you have near you, start that first and gain some of your confidence and strength there before putting yourself in that situation. If you go straight from ground level to the beach, your brain is just going to not want to do it. It's going to tell you all the negative thoughts. <laughs> Yes. That's interesting. So the grass and the gravel and just just getting that practice in yeah. is important. Yeah. And it will help retrain the brain. I noticed a difference when I, I visited my parents last week in Chicago and I walk so much better in my home on carpet. Their softwood floors, it was a struggle because 
the temperature will affect how my feet act. So if the floor is kind of the wood's cold and my toes might flare, I have, what is it, the Babinski reflex or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my toes will curl up, my foot will just do everything on that surface. Even in shoes, it was a little bit different. It's much. It's a much harder walk. I, it was just, it was harder. Mm-hmm. One question I get a lot is, what are the best shoes? And it's such, I never have an answer for it. It's so hard because it depends on what surfaces you're on throughout the day. And is it hardwood? Is it tile? Is it carpet? If it is carpet, is it high pile? Is it low Maybe. pile? There you go. Yeah. You know, so some people do Maybe great with you. What's that? So, yeah, they have the, the rubber, JBU's brand. They have the rubber on the bottom. They have the strap here. So you always, you know, your foot's in, it won't fall off. And then memory foam on the inside. Yeah. I find this type of shoe works the best for me in all circumstances. Perfect. Yeah. And that's, I usually, when anyone asks me that question, I'll usually say, you know, ask around you and try a bunch of different ones on. You know, I've had some people who walk better with a little bit of a heel on it, just a little bit. And I have other people who they need the whole thing to just be level. The heel can't be higher or lower or anything, um, you know, so more of like a platform shoe that's low. So, yeah, it's different for everyone. But try, I'm a big fan of trial and error. Try it out. See how it helps. Do it long enough to see if it helps. If not, try something else. have one last question the dizziness and vertigo how does physiotherapy help that it depends what the cause is so there's a few different causes if it's from the ms disease itself then usually it's a type of medication but if there if it's instead caused from your actual vestibular system so like your inner ear system then there are actually eye exercises, vision exercises, and head exercises and positionings that you can do to help with it. So, and you can actually go to a, uh, I can't remember the name of the people who actually do the test, but you can get tested for your vertigo to see which it is. And then you can get the appropriate care, whether it's exercises or medication, or maybe both based on what the cause is. I was recommended for vestibular therapy, but I never went because I created an image in my head of what it would be. And I picture, I don't remember the name of the machine, but where you, they invert you and turn you all around. Oh, that's not, yeah. I mean, at least the vestibular rehab that I've done, it's not that at all. Um, you know, but yeah. I will say, you know, you're, you're just seated at first for most of them and you just move your eyes in different positions and move your head in different positions. But I will say it's similar to the sensory exercises we were talking about where the goal is desensitization. So meaning you'll do an exercise that increases your vertigo. And as soon as it increases your vertigo, you stop and you let the vertigo go away and then you do it again and it'll come back. So it's not comfortable at first. The goal is to bring it on and then stop and wait for it to go. So you're desensitizing it. You're trying to get your vestibular system used to this movement so that it stops causing you to feel dizzy or lightheaded or, you know, whatever it might feel like. So it's not the most comfortable, um, but it's never anything crazy like that where they turn you upside down and then back up the other way. Mm -hmm. And it's always, yeah, it's always in a safe position where you start seated 
And until you feel better there, then they, they'll move you to standing and then maybe with walking, but that's usually how it goes. Okay. Well, thank you. Definitely. Thank you very much for um, checking in with us, Dr. Gretchen. We appreciate you wholeheartedly and we would love to have you back on in the future if, you know, available, because like you said, this is a moving treatment situation. It, it changes from year to year and, but we love your program. It, it sounds like something that everyone, functionable or the ones that are not even, can take something out of. Right. I know. You have such a great personality, very welcoming, very encouraging, very positive, optimistic. Okay. Absolutely. I, that's, and then you don't get that all the time with your, mm -mm. your, your therapist. And sometimes you're like, oh, man, I got to go. Oh, you're man. treated like no, a you, number. You're just the, the 8 o'clock slot. Exactly, right. and, yeah. and and better hurry up because you get out here late and and, and I have to write my notes next, and then you have to make your next appointment. Right. Yeah, that's one of my biggest pet peeves in the healthcare community, and it's another reason why it's great to have my own program because I feel like I can fully, I can help as much as I want. Like I can add it. I yeah. add between four and six videos every single month, and we've been up and running for about two and a half years now. So there's a lot of content in there now, but I just, you know, I can add as much value as I want. I don't have to worry about how long it's going to take or, or anything like that. So, so thank you for having me on here and allowing me to share some, some tips with you guys and your listeners. Absolutely. And one last thing I got to ask, as you mentioned that, how do listeners and people, prospective uh, clients, how do they get involved with the MS missing link? Yeah, so my the best way would probably be to first go to my website, which is missinglink.com, spelled M-S-I-N-G link. So that is where you can find the different ways to work with me, my online program, all that good stuff. And then I'm also on Instagram as dr.gretchen, and I also have a YouTube page that's Dr. Gretchen Holly as well. Okay, and we will add all of that to the links so that people can definitely follow you. Of course, it's a, a charge for it, but we're not going to even get into that. They can find all of that on your on your website that we can get in, and they can figure that out for themselves. We appreciate you, Dr. Gretchen Howley, and, you know, salute to you. Of course. Thank you for having me. And good luck Absolutely. on that wedding planning. Absolutely. And congratulations again. <laughs> Thank you so much. To the fans and the supporters, real quick, I wanted to touch base on why there's been an absence of our program and how our third guest host, I mean, our third host, Kendrick, is no longer a part of the program. And we had differences of opinions. He decided the route that we want to go, me, Jamila, and that's the way I feel podcast, is separate from the way he would like to go. So no hard feelings. We wish him well. On to the next one. I wholeheartedly agree. There's no hard feelings. It's just different pathways, you know? So um, we took a break because of health issues. And then coming back, we realized that we, our thoughts grew apart. So we just wanted to go different pathways. We want to continue with what we're doing and add on some things to it. Whereas he didn't, it's all good. We're all, it's all amicable. No hard feelings on this Absolutely. end. Absolutely. No hard feelings. We wish you well. Brother, get well and do your thing. And we will do the same. And we both here, we're here to provide 
solutions for people in the community that that are looking for avenues that we could provide. And that's all we're here to do. So at the end of the day, wish him well and um, the community well as well, because we will stay focused and continue to do what we're doing.